everybody! Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. And we're the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. That's right. I'm back! <laughs> That's, I know, it's a lot easier to do that segment with somebody else. I know, it was really funny. I was very tempted to cut in my audio, but as I listened to you be like, I'm Seth, and this is where Zach goes, I'm Zach, I was like, I don't want to. It was fine, I'm glad that you're feeling better. Yeah, I'm feeling much better. I do want to bring up some important business that we, we need to talk to our listeners about. Sit on the couch, listener, we're having a family meeting. I want to say like six months ago, I thought it was a good idea to turn on ads for our podcast and I decided that they would be programmatic ads and then I stopped paying attention possibly even longer than six months I just assume it was six months but uh you may have been affronted by ads during weird parts of the episode like the mid the middle of it so hopefully that will stop happening and you will only have ads at the end of the episode you're probably mad I'm mad and don't worry we didn't make any money that's not true we made 87 cents we, they don't they haven't paid it yet Oh, yeah, fair enough. So your distaste, as we have possibly earned 87 cents, but have also possibly earned your wrath. So I turned off the option for Podbeam to automatically put ads wherever they want. That's been turned off. Whatever episodes have been aired, that's kind of in the background. So let's just work about going forward and not having them in weird spots except at the end. And if people don't really like them, write to us and I'll just turn them off completely. Anyway, now that that serious conversation is over, keep us keep us in the loop. Or, you know, don't send us emails. Do whatever you want. Apparently, though, our producer Doug just sent us a note and said that all of the money that we made from advertising, he's already pocketed. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. We do owe him, like, many months of uh, back pay. Years. But anyway... <laughs> Zach, what have you been recently been playing? Seth, recently I've been taking a page out of your book and playing Cyberpunk 2077, which was released in 2020 by CD Projekt Red. I picked it up recently during the Steam Spring Sale, as I now have a computer that can run it. So I figured I would give it a shot, and sure enough, I'm enjoying it. Uh, Seth has already talked a lot about the game, so I'm not really going to go too in-depth with it. And I'm also only about 40 minutes into the game, so I don't really have a, like, broad sense of what's going on completely beyond the first 40 minutes. Overall, though, I'm enjoying it. I'm currently playing as a street kid who is the... Um, so there, there are three life paths in the game. Nomad, street kid, and corpo. And uh, street kid is the like middle option when you have your list of options. So <laughs> the, the options are given to you in, in, in a set of three. So I picked the one dead center. And I'm also going to try to go for, I think, a techie run uh, because I think the machinery and stuff in the game is really neat. And I'm kind of interested in exploring that overall though yeah i really like the aesthetic of the game i like some of the different pieces of satire that you see uh like one thing i really like is the fact that no matter where you are there's always an advertisement going on somewhere <laughs> like even in your own apartment there are advertisements constantly being projected on the wall no matter where you are you know the fun part about that is there's moments when i notice them and there's just moments where they just blend into the past like there'll be times where i'll be like riding an elevator and then i'll just look out and i'll be like that is a massive advertising for something incredibly inappropriate it's never just for like food or even if it is for food it's always heavily inappropriate so it'll be for food but it will be like a picture of a butt you haven't done the scav mission right no not yet you have fought scavs already so yes, scavs yeah. are people who take people and chop them up and sell them for parts. Yeah, scavengers. Yeah. At one point in time, you will uh, go to a location that does other things with people, and then you'll get advertisements for them. Fantastic. All right, one other thing 
I, I like the trauma team. They're also another kind of fun element that I've encountered and I, I hear that I, I will encounter more often. And they are a private EMT, EMT service that also is a paramilitary group. So they are doctors with bullets. They kind of dress like soldiers with stethoscopes. And I love them. They're truly doctors without borders. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They are truly doctors without borders. But only if you have a platinum card. Yeah, only if you have platinum. I like the game so far. I'm excited to dive back into the world of Night City and explore a bit more. And uh, who knows? I'll probably end up talking about Cyberpunk 2077 again sometime soon because it's a pretty long game. So we will see what other games I managed to play in between playing that. But Seth, what have you been playing recently? Uh, so recently I've been playing Manifold Garden, released in 2020 by William Shear Studio. I originally saw this game back during Apex, probably the 2019 PAX. And I I recently picked it up on the spring sale as well. Unfortunately, the spring sale is over by the time this episode's released. It ran from March 16th to the 23rd. But don't worry, Steam will have some more sales in the future. It's a puzzler game, so no story-driven adventure ones for me today where you need to solve physics-based puzzles while exploring a type of M.C. Escher world with these buildings that are impossibly built that are just like out in the sky um, with there's twists and passageways and there's store like staircases go up and down and they're upside down and there is another twist you can reorient yourself to whatever the new ground is so if you go up against a wall you can instead of jump you could just go to the wall and it is definitely gets a little confusing and you have to try to puzzle your way through various different orientations and it's been a lot of fun but it's also a, a bit of a challenge which is nice and the artwork is amazing it's a very beautiful looking game i actually zach was on one day and he asked me what i was playing and i said I think I'm just going to show you because it's hard to explain what this game is. Um, and I showed him and it was it was a very unique game. Yeah, it is. I don't really know how else to, like, you described it pretty succinctly. It's it's very optical illusion-y uh, in, in terms of the way the aesthetics are. Um, and it's pretty cool in that regards. Anyway, today we are going to be talking about a a game that is kind of related to the last couple episodes two episodes ago we talked about the sims and when i was sick seth talked about mass effect and both those games are connected because of electronic arts so let's keep in the theme and let's continue to talk about electronic arts games we're talking today about battlefield 1942 yeah it's a great game yeah when i was doing research for this episode the first thing that i had to do was go over to youtube and start up the video battlefield 1942 theme because that song is amazing zach will interlace a little bit of it in the beginning of this episode so you yeah. have already heard it but when you hear that intro you know you're about to go into an intense cinematic experience that was like the top of the time in fact the theme music is so catchy that the basis of the theme song is actually kept throughout the entire run of the Battlefield franchise. So the last game that came out for the Battlefield franchise was Battlefield 2042, and you can still hear that basis of that theme song in the theme song for Battlefield. They iterate on it, so it does change a little bit for every version. It's not the same exact song, but the same beats are the same, and it's great. I, I really like it. It just went 
whenever I hear it, I just think about um, spawning into a map, just getting into a plane and just dive bombing the enemies because that's that's what I did. I wasn't really good at flying, but I could use them to transport myself somewhere else on the map. There was a lot of people that used to camp the airfield. Also, I remember a lot of uh, Battlefield 1942 for the amount of discs that it came with. Oh, yeah. It did <laughs> like, come with a lot of discs. Because it also had some deal, like uh, DLC. It had some expansion packs as well. Yeah, well, I think we had like the war chest. We had the complete edition. Yeah, yeah. 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 And it, they were all kept in like a paper container. Yeah. So it wasn't even like jewel cases. You just fold out this like pamphlet of Battlefield discs. It's like an ugly book. In terms of my memories of the game, I, I played Battlefield 1942 probably a little later than Seth. I think I was a little, I don't remember really playing it when he was playing it, but I remember playing it later. I think when I found the discs at our father's. And yeah, it's it's just like Seth said, the music is catchy and it has, I think, this kind of element to Battlefield that you don't get with other war games. Um, and we'll talk a bit about it when we go into the gameplay, but the kind of camaraderie that you have with your teammates is something that you really don't get with games uh beyond maybe like the original battlefront for the for star wars which kind of has uh, which was heavily inspired by battlefield so that's kind of a similar gameplay aesthetic where it's very much based on these teams that you have and everyone's class is different and uh it's kind of this camaraderie that you have with your fellow teammates as you try to take the point but to get into the history battlefield 1942 was developed by a company called digital illusions ceab better known by their trade name Dice. Dice was founded in May of 1992 by a group of friends, Olaf Gustafsson, Marx Nystrom, Frederick Liljegren, and Andreas Axelsson. And these friends were former members of a small demo group that developed for the Amiga. Now, demo groups are something that we really haven't talked about, but essentially they were small independent teams of people who would create audio-visual based works of art called demos. These demos often had no form of gameplay and were simply ways that people people were able to show off their coding skills and creativity. Demos were often shared over bulletin board systems and the early internet, though they would also would meet up in real life for demo parties. And that sounds like just a fun time. I want to go to a demo party. Just a bunch of uh, people blasting like sound card music <laughs> as they have like weird psychedelic 8-bit graphics blasting on the screen sounds great the group was usually broken down into specific categories the coder whose job was to turn the demos art and music into something that could be displayed in real time on the system it was intended for the graphic artist who was responsible for the visual elements of the demo itself and lastly the musician who composed arranged mixed and mastered the music that was featured in the demos the demos scene was incredibly popular in the nordic countries as well as germany the netherlands hungary and France, but they also existed outside of these places and across the world. It was also heavily associated with, but not exclusively tied into, wares groups, and that's W-A-R-E-Z, because that's cool. <laughs> wares groups were something that I remember dealing with back in the day. They were primarily groups that were involved in cracking and reverse engineering digital rights management measurements in software. So you, if you bought a game and didn't want to use the CD with the game, you would download a CD crack and you would get it from a wares group. And sometimes the torrents or wherever you they would be called by the uploader would be like wares group, whatever, something like that. Yeah, and yeah. the wares 
would be in their name. And to this day, you may even find torrents, you know, of games, movies, whatever you. I don't condone any illegal piracy, but you may see wares in the name of people who upload torrents today. Now, the Dice team themselves got their start primarily creating these demos as a team called The Silence. Uh, they all studied at Vaskshow University in Sweden and thus would eventually establish their company in the same town. Now, Battlefield 1942 wasn't actually a game that DICE came up with. In fact, it was already in development from another company called Refraction Games. Refraction was a Stockholm-based company who created the Refractor Engine and were known for a game called Codename Eagle, a first-person shooter set during an alternate timeline World War One. The game, Codename Eagle, sold fairly decently, with around 20,000 units reportedly being sold in 2000, um, though it did receive fairly mixed reviews, with GameSpot giving it a 5.7 out of 10 and saying that, quote, Codename Eagle is mediocre, but sort of enthusiastically mediocre. Now, the team at Refraction were working on another first-person shooter, uh, what they wanted to be a follow-up to Codename Eagle, and at the time they were working on it, they were acquired by DICE in 2000. The game that they were developing would become... Battlefield 1942. Originally, DICE was interested in actually making the game a GameCube exclusive for Nintendo. However, these plans fell through as Nintendo ultimately had no major online plan for their GameCube. That's not to say the GameCube couldn't go online. It can go online. You need an external modem that you have to buy for your GameCube that gets plugged into the bottom, um, which was a separate cost. And you also had to make sure you had, you know, the proper assorted either dial-up or broadband setup that could get online with your GameCube. Uh, and there were a small number of games that were online compatible. However, majority of GameCube games are not compatible with online service, including multiplayer games. So like Mario Kart for the GameCube does not do online. Smash Brothers does not do online. Fantasy Star Online did online, which was an MMO. I had some friends that loved Fantasy Star Online. I also think that it's funny that, like, they clearly could have pushed, like, if they made Smash Brothers something that could go online optionally, they would move more modem sales. I think it was kind of silly that Nintendo didn't invest in online. And it would have been interesting a world where Nintendo invested in online and also Battlefield 1942 was an exclusive Nintendo game. Like, that could have been essentially their killer app at the time of, like, I, this was, like, what, a, t a few years before Call of Duty came out, so this would have been the killer app for Nintendo, arguably. The game itself was created in the Refractor engine, the same engine used for Codename Eagle. The game, Codename Eagle, has since been considered a spiritual precursor to the Battlefield franchise, largely due to how similar it is to Battlefield. And the team that would go on to work on Battlefield 1942 consisted of about 14 people and used Codename Eagle as a framework to create the new game. Battlefield 1942 would release in September of 2000. 2002, and the Mac version was finished in 2004. Yeah, and they actually got to market one year before Call of Duty. Which is a big deal, so Call of Duty quickly smashed house. <laughs> I, I think they were, they were two different games when they originally were released. I mean, to be fair, the original Call of Duty, I played more of the single player of that. Battlefield did not have any single player. Well, arguably you could play with bots. Which is fun in its own right. <laughs> yeah, you could make a map where you play with bots and which is but not a story so battlefield didn't have like a single player story mode so let's talk a little bit about what it, what it had going for it now battlefield 1942 differs from the other first person war shooters of the time in many different ways while games like medal of honor set the stage and call of duty would 
quickly come and upstage all of the games, it still manages to stand out for the variety of gameplay. Uh, Medal of Honor also had a decent single player story. The game allows you to take the role of five different classes or kits. You can be the scout, the assault, the anti-tank, the medic, or the engineer. The scout was armed with a bolt-action rifle, and with the exception of the German elite scouts who would have semi-automatic rifles, the scouts are typically considered infantry-centric. They have binoculars and are able to coordinate targets with artillery, which is useful. The assault, considered most effective at medium ranges, the assault kit is armed with a support weapon, a handgun, and a grenade. The anti-tank is, as the name implies, anti-tank. They're really good at blowing up tanks. It's because they have a rocket launcher. I think it World War II, it's like a, it's still like an RPG, so like a rocket propelled grenade type yeah, deal. Yeah. The medic is equipped with an assault rifle, a handgun, and a combat knife, and they are also given a medic bag and a defibrillator, which they can use to help their fallen comrades. The engineer is equipped with a non-scoped bolt-action or semi-automatic rifle. They also have landmines and TNT for destroying enemy vehicles. They are equipped with a wrench tool that allows them to repair friendly vehicles. You also have access to a wide variety of aircraft, such as fighters and bombers, the ability to navigate capital ships ships, submarines, and aircraft carriers, and of course, all mess of tanks, APCs, and jeeps. If you can drive it, it's able to be driven. You can also get into like mounted guns and uh, turrets and stuff like that. And it was one of the first games that I played that you could just jump in an airplane and fly it. It's also one of those games where you had to like make sure you got to the airplane quick enough if you wanted to fly it. Oh, yeah. People like loved airplanes. So yeah. they would just like hang around the airport until the airplane spawned and then they would immediately jump into to fly it. Yeah. So you were better off getting a Jeep or something if you really wanted to drive something. The game is set during the course of major battlefields in World War II across all the major theaters, the Pacific, European, North African, Eastern, and Italian fronts. You can play as either the Axis powers or the Allies. Location determines the specific army. So if you choose uh, a Japanese battle, it will be Japan versus the United States. But if you choose a map in Germany, it could be the Nazis against the British. It's really based on where you choose your map in terms of the actual layout of the enemies so you wouldn't be able to like play in germany and have like japanese versus the italians that wouldn't make sense each map is based on a real battle and there are some attempts to keep the battles realistically portrayed uh, but this includes maps such as but not limited to wake island stalingrad the battle of the bulge operation aberdeen operation baytown iwo jima and omaha beach the game is considered more cooperative than other war shooters that were before battlefield or that would follow Battlefield. While you do need to kill your enemies, you also have to capture certain control points. So there's kind of this push and take that you get versus in a general free-for-all match where you're just trying to wipe out the other team. What you have is you have players who are wiping each other out, but are also focusing on whether or not they can control certain points. Taking control points allows for a team to gain more reinforcements, while capturing points will take reinforcements from the enemy. And you really need to kind of coordinate how you focus your control of these points. Because if you decide to go ham and try to take one point, you might be leaving a couple other points open for being taken by the enemy. So that means you have to coordinate with your team, making sure that other points are properly protected and guarded while you have an uh, attacking force that can go claim points from the enemy. And really, I think that's where Battlefield drives home its gameplay 
is this kind of really give and take um, where you often have control points falling because they weren't properly defended or being taken because uh, you have a better control of your force and can get into that enemy point and overwhelm them. The game is also known for its high player counts, with numbers in the original game of up to 64 players going against each other. This number has since increased substantially as computers and internet speeds have gotten faster and better. And there were two expansion packs that were released. There was Battlefield 1942, The Road to Rome, which involved bringing in new battles that took place in Italy, because that's where Rome is, uh, including Operation Husky and the Battle of Enzio, and introduced more vehicles, um, including the British Mosquito, which is a fighter bomber, and a M3 Grant medium tank. They also, instead of just having US and Axis, uh, you could now play as French and Italian. They also introduced uh, a few new weapons, the Italian Breda and British Sten. The other expansion that they added was 1942 Secret Weapons of World War II which added new features to the gameplay, um, including a new gameplay mode that focused on accomplishing objectives versus just killing everybody. It also added some new roles and new weapons. And the most important thing was it added the jetpack. Uh, they also added like a um, like a Nazi super jet that like blasted, like one of those that like was mounted, that was like, that shot off. And Secret Weapons of World War II was kind of the last expansion to the next games got released yeah i think secret weapons of world war ii also added a map which is the eagle's nest which was a place that hitler used to vacation to which was captured by the allies so it was featured in a form of combat but it you have to like destroy a safe which has like secret plans or something in it battlefield i think has they really try to make the games very realistic but when they are not realistic they're very funny because like having jetpacks in world war ii (laughs) is very silly. Yes. And they like modify the intro as well to show off all the new stuff to that same like great music. They also did introduce in Secret Weapons of World War II, they introduced two new faction, the SAS, which is the British Commandos, and the German elite troops, the Waffen-SS and the Fallschirmjägers. And then they would go on to introduce the USMC, the RAF, and the Luftwaffe as playable factions. I think what is interesting is one of the things Battlefield's I think known for is the the realism element i know watching a ign i think has a series of youtube videos that they do with this guy who works at a british arms museum um, where he just talks about weapons and he's covered battlefield a couple of times and he seems to indicate when he's talking that battlefield does a pretty good job with its accuracy in depicting certain weapons albeit taking some creative liberties for the sake of gameplay anyway seth how did battlefield do in its numbers the game's release was very successful battlefield 1942 had sold 680,000 copies and by july of 2004 it had sold more than 3 million copies the game earned uh, about 27.1 million dollars in the united states alone by 2006 according to edge magazine the game was ranked as the 18th best-selling computer game released since 2000. Uh, the game was also fairly well received, scoring a 9 out of 10 from Eurogamer, 9 out of 10 from Game Informer, and 9.3 from IGN. Both Road to Rome and 
Secret Weapons of World War II would also have favorable reviews as well. Battlefield 1942 would spawn a massive franchise. Uh, the first follow-up would be Battlefield Vietnam, released in 2004. Following this was Battlefield 2 in 2004, Battlefield 2142 in 2006, Battlefield 1943 in 2009, Battlefield Bad Company in 2008, and Bad Company 2 in 2010, Battlefield 3 in 2011, Battlefield 4 in 2013, Battlefield Hardline, which is a spin-off about like cops and robbers in 2015, Battlefield 1 in 2016, which is about World War 1, Battlefield 5 in 2018, which is back to World War 2, and Battlefield 2042 in 2021. One thing I could say about the Battlefield games is their naming is very inconsistent. <laughs> I like that there was Battlefield 2142 and then Battlefield 2042. I like that there was Battlefield 2142 and then immediately following it was Battlefield 1943. <laughs> First we start in 1942, then we go to 2142, then we go one year after 1942. Battlefield Bad Company is a single player spinoff. Yes, yeah, they, those are single player spinoffs. They're also pretty they're good pretty from good. from my understanding. Yeah, yeah I've yeah. played it. Yeah, I've played Battlefield. I think I played Bad Company 1 at least. I know they're, they're, they're technically impressive because they have really destructible environments where you can yeah. like you can hit it like a the side of a house with a rpg and like the house will crumble realistically well and then now that happens in the battlefield games in the multiplayer so. right yes now that's kind of a, a given i do think it's interesting that they kind of bounce around in these timelines though you have like you go into the future you go back into the past that's cool now all the games have been overseen by dice but some of them were developed by outside developers such as visceral games criterion games ea gothenburg and ripple effects studios and it's important to mention though i think i alluded to it the battlefront games even the original battlefront games are heavily inspired by battlefield like the gameplay is nearly identical you're capturing command points it's just set in Star Wars. Battlefront is basically just like Battlefield 1942, but with a Star Wars coat of paint. <laughs> nice. Well, it was great having Zach back as an episode of Classic Gaming Brothers, so we can actually talk about the retro rewinds. So last week, Zach had me playing Undercover Cops, which was released in 1992 for the arcade in Japan, and then it was released for the Super Famicom in 1995. I played it on a Super Famicom that I emulated. It is a beat-em-up game developed and published by iRee, and in it, you play in the year 2043, and you play as self-described city sweepers who are police officers who beat the crap out of hoodlums. That's what they're, they're sweeping the streets full of crime, and they're doing it with their fists. Uh, the sprites are a bit smaller than Streets of Rage, but the action is just as punchy. And for being on the Super Famicom, that's pretty good, because generally when you think of like a beat-em-up game, you think of Sega, because Sega does the beat-em-up games. So having a decent beat-em-up game on the uh, Super Famicom is pretty cool. Uh, it's on the Super Famicom because, like I said, it was released in Japan, and it never got ported to America, though I f it feels very American <laughs> as, like a, as a game, and probably would have done well. They were going to localize it and change it over, but uh, something fell through, and they ended up canceling it. During the game, I played as Rosa, who has a lot of hair, and one of her moves is her hitting people with her hair. Uh, she also has like a weird flippy move that uses magical powers that they have, I guess. That's just like their special attack. So you punch, jump, or magical power. The game also has some 
interesting weapons. I was punching my way across a beach and there was a, a stone column in the ground and I decided to pull it out. And then I pulled a gigantic post out. And then I beat people with this giant post that I pulled out of the ground. Overall, it was a pretty enjoyable game. I, I think it plays as a pretty solid beat-em-up. I think it holds up for sure. It's unique. I think there is a tr fan-translated patch out there uh, that you can apply to the ROM. Um, but apart from that, most of the names and stuff are all in English. So, And it's a beat-em-up. There's not a lot of plot to get through beyond beating people up. I also really enjoyed that they gave you money depending on how many people you beat up. And then based on how much money you got is how much healing you got you received between stages. For next week, uh, Zach, you could play Road Rash 2 for the sake of Genesis. Okay, I will. Seth had me play Mercs. Mercs came out in 1990 for the arcade. I played the Sega Genesis version and it was created by Capcom. Um, and it's actually part of a series of games with the first game being uh, Commando, which is also a pretty fun game. Mercs is a game where you play as a merc or a mercenary who is running and gunning their way through a bunch of enemy soldiers. Uh, and that's because it is a run and gun. Uh, it's kind of like a cross between, I would say, Contra and almost like a shoot 'em up where Contra is kind of the, uh, uh, you know, a, a side-scrolling run and gun where this is a top-down scrolling upward kind of run and gun. And it feels more like you're playing a shoot 'em up like maybe like 1942, but as a dude as opposed to a, a plane. Overall, it, it's okay. The controls were a bit tight on the Sega Genesis version. I don't know if they're better on the arcade. I assume they are. And I do think that other games in the genre hold up a bit better. Uh, for example, Heavy Barrel, which came out on the NES, I think is a slightly better running gun of kind of the same idea versus Mercs for the Sega Genesis. Again, I don't know if this is just because the Sega Genesis version isn't the best port of the arcade version. So I'd be willing to try the arcade version, see if it's any different. But overall, I would say it doesn't hold up the way that other games in the same genre do hold up. Uh, next week, Seth, you can play Syndicate for the Sega Genesis. Fun. Well, with that, thank you everyone for joining us. I'm glad to be back. If you have any comments about today's episode, you have any memories of 1942, you want to tell us all about the, maybe the weird mods and stuff that you put into your game, let us know. You can do so by emailing classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us via our Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, or Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch are Classic Gaming Brothers. Our Twitter is CG Brothers Pod. We are available on all the podcasting applications out there. So if you want to let your friends know about us, tell them they can listen to us on, you know, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Podbean, all those places. That's where we are. And uh, also, we're at PAX this weekend, literally. Like, as, as you're listening to this episode, most likely Seth and I are wandering around PAX Expo. So if you are listening to this episode and you hear us say, we're at PAX, and you think, maybe the brothers are still at PAX, and you see us, say hi. That'd be nice. Anyway, uh, uh, that's all that I have to say. Seth, do you have anything that you would like to contribute? An entire episode that I did? But no, I'm just kidding. Uh, don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Seth. And I've been Zach. And we've been the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's, that's right. That's right. right. <laughs>